Well, hey, everybody. Happy Easter. So good to see you. I'm so glad that you're here. And uh, I hope you'll look in your program and take your outline out and follow along and uh, take some notes. I'm excited about this new series as we talk about bridging the divides. You know, it's been quite a day for me. I had an accident on the way to church. I was coming down Mission Boulevard, and uh, I, was, I was about halfway here. All of a sudden, the Easter Bunny hopped across the road right in front of me. I couldn't believe it. I guess he was out last-minute preparations for the big day tomorrow. And there he was with his basket and all the eggs, and he was hopping. And I slammed both of my feet on the brakes. Man, we, we spun around and around and around. Next thing I know, I, I went up on the curb, and when I came to, there was a police officer standing over me. And he said, hey, hey, mister, just, just calm down, take it easy. I got some good news and some bad news. He said, the bad news is your car is total. But the good news is you're okay. You don't seem to be seriously hurt. I was like, Whew. but what about the Easter Bunny? He said, don't worry. It was really close, but you missed him by a hair. <laughs> well, I got some good news for you. And I got some bad news. And I got some great news, okay? The good news is I'm not going to tell any more bad jokes, I promise, all right? Now we got to talk about some bad news for a few minutes so we can really understand the great news, okay? I got to tell you the bad news first so you can understand the great news. And I don't want you to feel like I'm beating you up for a little while because this is my story too. I got to talk about it. I got to tell you about it. We have to look at this together, okay? So if we really want to understand what Easter is all about, we have to look at the bad news first. If we really want to understand what God did for us in bridging the spiritual divide, we have to look at ourselves. We have to try to understand what it is that God really did for us. Have you ever wondered how something as ugly as the cross has become this beautiful, revered symbol today? I mean, we wear it as jewelry around our neck. Uh, we, we build these... Uh, people make these amazing sculptures, and they put the cross in stained glass windows. And you know, the cross is really, was really an ugly instrument of torture and execution. How did this horrible instrument of death become this thing that we, we hold up and we, we use as jewelry and as something beautiful? You know, what's the story behind that? Why did we even need the cross? Some of you might be wondering, why are we even separated from God? Why do we have a spiritual divide? What's the big deal? Well, we need a bridge because we're separated from God. That's your first feeling on your outline. We're all separated from God. That's what the Bible tells us. It's the story of all of us. In Isaiah, he tells us, your iniquities have separated you from your God. And you circle that, your iniquities. You know, what's the big deal? Why do we need a cross? Well, it's because of my sin and your sin. And that's why we're looking at these devices. Not only does my sin separate me from God, but it separates me from others. It creates all these divides in our world today. I think we live in one of the most divisive times in human history, and it's all because of our sin. Now, some of you would say, well, I'm not really a sinner. I, I haven't robbed a bank or beat up any old ladies, or I didn't fudge on my taxes, at least not this year. And, you know, you feel like you're really not all that bad, right? And it's kind of like if, if you were out with some friends, you, you got together, you went on a safari, you went over to Africa, and you're out in, enjoying the beautiful creation, and all of a sudden this man-eating lion sees your group, and he starts running after you. And your whole group starts running, right? It doesn't matter how fast you are as long as you're not the slowest person in the group. And that's kind of how a lot of us think about our sin. Is, well, it doesn't matter how bad I am as long as I'm not as bad as them, as long as I'm not as bad as those people. 
And so we think, oh, it's not really a big deal. Well, look what Isaiah says in chapter 53. He says, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Again, I don't know if God could be any clearer. We've separated ourselves. We've made our own choices. There's a great divide. Every one of us, we've chosen our own way. We've followed our own paths. We've done our own thing. We've disobeyed God, and we wind up separated from God, spiritually dead, the Bible says. And David says this, God, you allow no evil in your presence. God is so holy and perfect and just, he can't even tolerate the sin and wickedness and evilness in my life. But yet he loves us deeply. He loves us deeply. Now this divide between us and God, it's not a good thing, it's a bad thing. It's a terrible thing. It's horrible. It's kind of like standing on the edge of a, a cliff or a great uh, canyon and looking across and you go, I wish I could get to the other side. There's like this longing. Wouldn't that be cool to go to the other side? But there's nothing I could do to cross that canyon. No way I could get over there on my own. And that's what this spiritual divide is like. And we can't be in God's presence with this unforgiven sin in our life. And so we know something's missing in our hearts, in our lives. Even people don't think a lot about God. They know something's missing. Something's not right with the world. Something drives them because there's a hunger and an emptiness down deep inside all of our souls. We long for that connection we were made for. And as bad as a divide is, if we look at it together, we can, we can learn some great lessons from the divide. It teaches us some great things about God, some great and powerful things. Now, the first part's the bad news. Number one, God hates sin. God hates sin. He hates it because he's holy and he's perfect and he's free from sin. The Bible, in the Bible, God describes sin as an infection, a heavy burden, a defiling filth, a debt, a darkness, and a scarlet stain. And you say, whoa, time out, Dwayne. I might have messed up a little bit, but I'm, I'm not stained and affected. I haven't done anything worthy of God's hatred. Well, let's take a look at another passage. Let's see what... We can all find ourselves on this list of things God hates. Look at this. It says, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue. I mean, who hasn't lied, right? Hands that shed innocent blood. Jesus said if you hate someone in your heart, it's like you've committed murder. They're like dead to you. You've, you've created this division between yourself and them goes on to say, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet quick to rush into evil, a false witness, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. I mean, we're all on this list. We've all done something, at least one, if not more. And you might even go back and circle all those parts of the body. Man, did you, did you see the beautiful way God expresses himself to us? His eyes, tongue, hands, heart, feet. I mean, from, from my head to my toes, from my mind to my heart to my feet, I'm infected with sin. That's what God, the Bible says, and God hates it. That's the bad news. Now, I want you to catch one thing out of that list, one more thing, the haughty eyes, that pride that we often have. That's when we look, again, <laughs> I'm not as slow as you guys. I'm not as bad as you. I'm not as bad as that. And we get this pride, right? And sometimes we think, oh, well, I'm not really so bad. Why do I need a cross? I'm not really divided from God. Man, the Bible says pride is a bad thing. <laughs> Pride goes before a fall. And pride keeps thousands of people away from God today. We think, what will my friends say? Or what will my family think if I live boldly for Christ or invite him into my life? How will it affect my reputation? Or I'm not really that bad. I don't need Jesus. No one's going to tell me what to do. 
And the Bible says we can only come to God in humility. We have to recognize that on our own, we're not good enough. That I've blown it and you've blown it. We've sinned and we need mercy and grace. And you know the greatest act of humility in the, bio, in the world, in history. I mean, God doesn't ask us to do anything he hasn't done already. Look with Jesus. When Jesus stooped, came down to this earth, laid down willingly on the cross, took the nails in his hands and his feet, there couldn't have been a greater act of humility in all of history than the creator of the universe humbly going to the cross so that you and I could be reconnected to the Father. He, he took this posture of humility for you and for me out of his love for us. And if you really think about this list of sins, how God hates it, and he hates, what it, he hates the disobedience and the evilness, but he hates even more how it damages our relationship with him. It separates us from him, but all of these sins damage our relationships with others. God loves each one of us. He wants his children, to, to his creation, to be loving one another and sharing life together. And he hates what sin does to us and what it does to our relationships. God hates sin because he loves us. He hates the separation it causes. Think about it this way. If you had a little baby and you, laid the, you, you set him down in a little baby carrier out by the driveway and you, you turn your back for a minute and you come back and there's a rattlesnake beside your baby's little baby carrier... I don't care how much you like snakes, you're going to take some action, right? You're going you're you're to do something. You're going to protect your child. And God hates sin. He has to deal with it. Billy Graham said, while God is love, he hates sin. And he will judge it with the fierceness of his wrath. This generation is schooled in the teaching about an indulgent, soft-hearted God whose judgments are uncertain and who coddles those who break his commandments. See, we don't understand God's response to sin because we don't really understand, we, we underestimate the seriousness of our own sin, and we don't really understand God's holiness and his nature and how he can't tolerate sin. He can't, he can't deal with it. When we rationalize it, we, we underestimate how serious it is. And then because of that sin, we realize something's wrong in our relationship with God. And so, so many people around the world today, maybe some of you here today, you, you're trying to do the religious thing so you can be right with God. You know, if I just go to church, I try to be a better person, if I'm just good enough, I can make up for all those bad things that I did. You know, the truth is, I can never be perfect. I've already blown it. And I can't make it up, and you can't make it up. In Hebrews, it says this, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. And he's talking about the priests who who served the people, who stood between God and the people in the Old Testament, they would offer sacrifice. You know, in God's mercy, he allowed the people when they come to worship, they had to bring a perfect, unblemished animal to sacrifice in their place, to, to take their place for the sin. This is before Jesus. And I was sharing, I was sharing with somebody recently, and it, it just really struck me. They were so upset that God would allow us, an, an innocent little, cute little, cuddly lamb die in our place. I mean, I get it. We all, we love, we love little cute animals, right? But we don't take his, man, think about Jesus. God himself died in our place day after day. Hebrews goes on to say that Jesus is our high priest. He sacrificed himself once for us and he completed it, was finished. But if we fail to admit it, we fail to recognize this truth. If we fail to recognize that the divide is there because of my choices, here's what Paul says, because of your stubbornness, and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. 
It's stubborn and unrepentant. It means you're unwilling to turn away from your sin, to get back on God's path, to come back to Him. And see, that's the bad news. That's the bad news. But that's why Easter happened. That's why what we celebrate at Easter is because of this divide, God wanted to bring us back together. And so that leads us to number two. The cross displays God's justice. He took our penalty for us on the cross. See, I don't have to take it. Jesus took it for me. Jesus came to bridge that gap between sinful man and a holy, righteous God. God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. See, that's why we have a bridge up here for this series. It's like, you know, we're living over here, way over there. Lance said I'm going to look really ugly if I go over here. Sorry, Lance. So, lighting. Anyway, you go over here, you're separated from God, and you can't get over there without this bridge. And so, when you, Jesus became this bridge for us, that's what the bridge represents, the cross, and he became this bridge for us so you could be reconnected with God, to bridge that divide. And so he, he crossed that bridge so you could be made right with God. You could be restored to that relationship. And you know what else the Bible tells us? Only Jesus is qualified to be the bridge. Nobody else could take our place. He was fully God and fully man. Only a perfect, sinless man could qualify as our substitute. And God proved that Jesus was worthy to take my place when he raised him from the dead. That's the resurrection that we celebrate on Easter. The, death, the grave couldn't hold him. And God proved that Jesus was worthy to take our place. Francis Chan said, God never excuses sin. Whenever we start to question whether God really hates sin, we only have to think of the cross where his son was tortured, mocked, and beaten because of our sin. Because of our sin. See, the cross teaches us a couple very important things about God. He hates sin. He hates what it does to us, and somebody has to pay for it, but the cross shows that it's set, he, on the cross, Jesus satisfies God's demand for justice. His holy nature requires it. Crucifixion is considered one of the most brutal, brutal forms of execution and torture ever. But do you know that greater than all that physical pain was a point when God placed on Jesus the weight of all our sin and shame, when he satisfies God's justice, when he took the penalty for our sins on himself, and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Now, it's hard to wrap our heads around because there's one God, and Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And Jesus and God, are, they're the same God, but somehow God's revealing or he exists as these three parts to us. I can't quite explain it. But God experienced Jesus as the Son in human form. He experienced guilt. He'd never experienced guilt before. I know most of you in this room, you've come to a point in your life where you've experienced soul-crushing guilt. You've done something that just, you can't even sleep at night because you feel so bad about what you've done. And he experienced all that guilt for all of us on himself at once. And he said, felt separated from the Father for the first time in his life. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? See, the powerful lessons from the cross is God hates sin. But the good news is Jesus satisfied God's justice on the cross. He endured that separation from the Father so that we could be reunited with him. He paid the price to ransom us back. Paul said, there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind. The man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all people. 
Whenever you're tempted to just play off or rationalize your sins, downplay how serious, who am I really hurting? I just challenge you to remember the cross because it reminds us of God's holiness, his justice. But it also reminds us of the greatest news of all. And that's number three. The cross is a bridge home displaying God's love. Man, that cross, somehow, somehow this ugly instrument of death, it displays God's justice, but it also displays God's love. Paul said this, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies. Man, Jesus' death built the bridge between us and God. He did it for us while we were still his enemies. I'll encourage you, circle a couple of words there. So would you circle his great love and our friendship with God? Man, it's like, there. maybe picture it like this. We have this picture of the bridge and we're separated. There's this gap between us and God. And then Jesus came and on the cross, he bridged that gap for us. That's the picture we're just trying to drive home. This, that Jesus bridged this gap for us. The only reason I was separated from God, the only reason anyone would ever go to hell is because of their own choices. But the only reason Jesus died was out of his love for you and for me, out of obedience to his Father and his love for us. Jesus died for me while, while, while I was still a sinner, while I wasn't even sorry. I kept going my own path, and Paul says, he died for me. Jesus died for us while we were still God's enemies. That's like, imagine choosing to die for the person who cut you off in traffic, nearly caused you a life-ending accident, and then gave you the finger when you honked your horn. Can you imagine? Or choosing to die for the person who slandered you at work, and you didn't get the promotion, and eventually you got let go because someone talked bad about you behind your back. Or imagine choosing to die for your spouse who cheated on you. Can you imagine? Well, that's what Paul says. Jesus died for you and me while we were still his enemies. Paul says, you lived in this world without God and without hope, but now you've been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Man. The cross reminds us of how much God loves us. And whenever life is beating you down, when you feel like, where is God? He doesn't even care about me. How come he's not helping me out? I want to remind you, remember the cross, because he did the greatest thing for you that anybody could have ever done, something that no one else could have done for you. Remember the cross. You have a heavenly father who would stop at nothing to have a relationship with you, sacrificed his son for you. And Jesus has built the bridge. He's done the work for us so that we can have that relationship with God. So what do we do with that? Choosing the bridge requires faith in Jesus. He doesn't force you to cross the bridge. You have to want that relationship. You have to put your faith and trust in him. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm driving, <clears throat> I tend to take bridges for granted. I don't know if any of you are afraid to drive. I, know I don't stop and pray before I cross a bridge. And, uh, you know, sometimes we take Jesus for granted. We, some of us have heard this story all our lives. Some of us have heard it so long, we kind of take it for granted. And, you know, something recently reminded me that I shouldn't take bridges for granted. I mean, you know, the Richmond-San Rafael Bridge, pieces started falling off on other cars, right, when people were driving across the bridge. 
And it just kind of reminded me that, man, man, somebody, somebody put that there a long time ago. It needs some maintenance and repair. But Jesus is my bridge. I can count on him. He's not going to crumble. He's not going to fall apart. But crossing the bridge requires faith. It requires me coming to a point. And sometimes people ask me, how do I know I'm connected with God? I don't, sometimes I don't feel it. How do I know I'm connected with God? Well, Jesus said something very important. He said, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. How do I know I'm connected with God? I believe in the Son. Now, I want you to look at a couple words there. Whoever means whoever. The addict, the cheater, the thief, the loner, the user, the loser, the liar, the gossip, the abuser, whatever you've done. Sometimes he'll say to me, well, Dwayne, you don't know what I've done. You, I got some stories. You don't know what I've done. Whoever has the son has life. Doesn't matter what you've done. When you, Jesus took that for you on the cross. You can be restored to that relationship with Jesus when you believe. And it's not just believing some facts in your head. It's not just believing that Jesus was a real person who lived and died and rose again, but it's putting your faith and trust in him that he died for your sins and you ask him to forgive you for that. You put your faith in him. And then you admit that what you did was wrong and you begin to turn from your sins. You repent. You say, man, I'm so sorry for the things I did, how I lived when I was over there. Now I want to live and get back on your path. Eternal life is more than just living forever, too. You might write John 17, 3 on the side if you like to go back and read, follow up. In John 17, 3, Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the Father, and the one you sent. You have a relationship. That's how you know that you have eternal life, that you believe in Jesus, you're trusting him. You're not, you might, you, you don't have to worry about what's going to happen after you die because you're trusting and believing in Jesus. And then the, the last thing is that life on the other side should express my faith. If I've gone from living over here on my own path, screwing things up myself, and now I'm getting over here on God's path, something should look a little different in my life. I should begin to change. I'm not going to be perfect. I'm not going to be perfect, but is there any evidence in your life that you have a relationship? Do you have the son? Do you have that kind of faith? And is there any evidence? I mean, the book of James is all about, man, if you have real faith, it's going to show up in your life. You're going to be different. There's going to be some good deeds in your life. Imagine, I don't know, most of you have taken some, probably some pretty amazing vacations at least once in your life. You've gone somewhere, and I know you've been on vacation, you start wondering, what would it be like to live here? You ever wondered that? Maybe you went to another country or Hawaii or something, what would it be like to live here, man? And you look and see how much houses cost. Oh, wow, most places pretty good, right? <laughs> Compared to here. <laughs> when you go live somewhere else, you usually got to make some changes in how you live and how you, you know, get around, right? Like, Years ago, I moved to Korea for two years. I, had, I, I mean, a lot of people didn't understand me when I spoke English, so I had to learn how to speak some Korean or I couldn't get home. I couldn't, I couldn't get a taxi or find the bus. I had to learn to talk a little different, right? And then I was in Seoul, like one of the five largest cities in the world. I was like a country boy. Here I'm in Seoul, and you're on these crowded sidewalks, and where I'm from, man, you say, excuse me, and you get, oh, excuse me. And man, after a few weeks there, I was kind of mad. Because people were always running into me. They were on the right side, and I was on the right, but people, people were always running into me. I told one of my Korean friends, why are people always running into me? They're so rude. He said, Dwayne, think about it. 
if everybody stopped and said, excuse me, and was polite, nobody would get anywhere. There's so many people on the sidewalk. I mean, it was so crowded. I said, oh, yeah, it's probably right. So I just plowed through, you know, just because like, if everybody stopped, we'd all be gridlocked. And then I had to learn how to get a shot. I mean, it gets shots different there. I, I wound up having to go my first week in Korea. I got left at the hospital. Nobody there speaking English. Nurses came to the door with two shots in their hand. They went like this, and I dropped my pants. Last time I had a shot, man, they ran screaming all through the... I, oh, my gosh, we get arrested. They found somebody who spoke English. He said, what did you do? And I told him, and he said, oh, here we just pulled down the top of our pants, and they... They stick it in the top of your, like, oh man, so embarrassing when I had to walk out of the, all the nurses were laughing at me, man, so when you move somewhere else, you got to learn how to live a little different or you're going to humiliate yourself and you don't fit in, right? You got you to learn how to function. Well, if, if you have a relationship with God and you're in his kingdom now, your life's got to look a little different. You can't treat people the way you treated them when you lived over there. You can't treat God the way you do. You got to think about God and what does he want for your life. It starts showing up with how you live. And if you've really experienced, this is why I wanted you to have the bad news. I want you to really understand, because sometimes we take that bridge for granted, how much God loves you. When you really experience his love, there's something in you that wants to love him back and love others. Instead of just living for yourself like you were over there. Living for yourself and a few special people in your world. Now, man, what can I do, God? What can I do for you? What can I do to share about you with other people? It should show up. I need to get connected to a church family if I love God. I need to be around his people who are going to help me grow. I need to serve those people. And we need to work together to share his love with the world around us. We can't just live our selfish, solitary life back over there. And, And the way I behave should start to look a little different. Paul said when we were living over there, separated from God, our lives were marked by sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, on and on and on. Evil, drunkenness, wild parties. He said when you're united with Christ, God sends his Holy Spirit into your life, and your life starts to be marked by the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control. I think I got it out of order. Man, as you surrender to God and he begins to produce these things in your life. Man, who wouldn't love to have more joy, more peace, more patience? What would that do for your relationships if you were a little more gentle and kind? God wants us to build healthy relationships, not just with him, but with each other. He wants us to be peacemakers in this divided world. Man. If I have a relationship with Christ, it's going to show up, and I'm going to have some passion in my life. Because, man, God had some passion for you, let me tell you. But Jesus said this to one of the churches. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. Kind of living in the middle. You're kind of living with a foot in both worlds. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. How many of you like to drink lukewarm beverages? I usually want them really hot or really cold, right? Most, most things. It's a great picture. What's your spiritual temperature? Do you really understand God's love? Are you loving him? It should show up in your life. It should show up in your life, not just at Christmas, not just at Easter, not just once in a while. It should show up every day. It should show up every day. 
Francis Chan said something that I'm still thinking about. He said, lukewarm people don't really want to be saved from their sin. They only want to be saved from the penalty of their sin. Like, I don't want the separation from God and the guilt and the shame and, ooh, what's that hell thing? But, man, I want to be okay with God, but I don't want to have to live like I'm okay with God. I want, I want to have both the best of both worlds. And that was my life when I was in college, kind of living in the middle. One foot in the world, one foot in the church, and I was miserable. And God doesn't want you to live like that. He wants you to surrender your life to him and live like you really have that relationship with him. You know, our time, our time together today is coming to a close pretty quick. But sometimes we forget our time on earth is coming to a close faster than we think. I went back and looked at my calendar today. <laughs> I've helped do five funerals in the last six weeks, and I was at another one. So the fact that I'm not depressed should give you some, I have some hope in Christ. Now, some of these, some of these services I did, I don't think those people knew Jesus. It made me really sad. And uh, God doesn't want you to take that bridge for granted. He doesn't want you to just assume that you're always going to have an opportunity to put, you don't know what's going to happen. Here's what Peter said. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. See, Jesus promised he's going to come back one day to take his, his followers to heaven and to judge the world. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. That's when repentance is, I'm going to stop living going on my path, and I'm going to turn and go on God's path. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. It's going to come unexpectedly. And he doesn't, he doesn't want you to miss it. God doesn't want you to miss that. So I'm going to ask you right now, if you take a moment, let's bow your heads. We'll all have a moment just to reflect and pray. And Maybe you're here today, and... Uh, you're still separated from God, and we're so glad you came out. And maybe you sense, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's time. God's tugging at my heart. I know that I've sinned. I know I'm separated from him, and I'm tired of living on my own path. I want to get on God's path. And so what's holding you back right now from inviting Jesus to come into your life and to forgive you? And if you want to pray right now, just right where you're at, just pray in your heart. Just pray, pray something like this. Jesus, please forgive me for my sins. I know I cannot save myself. But I believe you took my place on the cross. And please come into my life and forgive me and lead me. Thank you. Maybe some of you, you have a relationship with Jesus. You've, but you've kind of drifted. You don't feel close. You don't feel connected. Maybe you've allowed some sinful habits and patterns in, in your life, and you're kind of living in the middle. And This is an opportunity for you just to confess it, to say, God, I'm sorry. Help me, help me to obey you through your Holy Spirit. Help me to live in your power and help me to begin to change. I can't do it myself. And you, you live like you have that relationship and just asking to help you. And then for those of you, you just, man, you're close to God right now. Just take a moment and just say, man, Jesus, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for taking all of my sin. Thank you for satisfying God's justice on the cross. Without you, I'd be lost. And Jesus, thank you for what you did for us. We, we, we don't really get the full extent of how far from you we were. And Give us a deeper picture of your love for us and for this world and change our hearts and change our lives. In Christ's name we pray.
Amen.